Connects talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Hello and welcome to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter, Vera Kovacevich, and a very special guest with us. We're happy to have Dr. Philip Talakis, President and CEO of Cernova Corp, on the show today. Cernova is a regenerative medicine therapeutics company based in Canada, and Dr. Tolakis has served as the company's president and CEO since 2009. Recently, Cernova shared positive clinical trial data for its proprietary cell pouch system as a functional cure for insulin-dependent diabetes. The company also recently announced a new partnership with Evotech, a company specializing in induced pluripotent stem cell or IPSC IPSC technologies for therapeutic applications. To learn more about Cernova, let's hear from Dr. Tilakis. Dr. Tilakis, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for the opportunity to be able to talk with you guys. Thank you. So I'd just like to start off by asking, um, what is the focus of Cernova? So Cernova is... um, obviously a regenerative medicine company, as you said. We're working on cell therapy type applications, but not for just to treat disease, but actually looking for what we would call a functional cure for diseases. So if you take the example of people that have type one diabetes, and the issue there is that they have lost the cells in their pancreas that are able to read blood sugar levels and release insulin accordingly to be able to control their blood sugar levels to make them normal. And so what people have been doing for over 100 years is taking multiple insulin injections every single day to try to control those blood sugar levels. And what we're doing is using a cell therapy approach whereby we're able to replace the cells that have been lost in the pancreas that control your blood sugar levels, but we're putting them into a small device that forms an organ-like environment under the skin. So essentially, we're creating what we would call a mini pancreas that's Mm -hmm. placed under the skin into which you can put these new therapeutic cells that can then connect up to the blood supply and start to read blood sugar levels and release insulin in in the body appropriately. And we're not only doing that for type 1 diabetes, but we're also doing it for a number of other diseases, such as for patients that have uh, hypothyroid disease, where where their thyroid gland is missing um, and been removed, and also Um, also for hemophilia A, which is a bleeding disorder where the patients are missing a factor called factor E. So we have a number of different potential applications that we can use. And just uh, talking a bit more about the cell pouch system, you mentioned that it is uh, implanted under the skin. So are there any particular locations depending on the indication? And um, is it a one-time surgical implantation? 
Right. So the, the device is about three quarters the size of a business card. It's a few millimeters thick and it's made of a series of chambers that are linked together. And uh, we place this deep under the skin, it, you know, below the skin tissue, below the fat tissue and close to the level of the muscle subcutaneous muscle mm -hmm. and it's placed in a single procedure and then we can after about after about three weeks or so what happens is that uh, tissue during that time tissue is growing through the pores of the device around these small removable plugs that are space holding and the tissue will fill in to the point of where the circumference of the plug is. And then we can go in after about three weeks and then we have these fully highly vascularized tissue chambers into which we put the therapeutic cells. And the devices at this point are placed at the level around the waist of the belly mm -hmm. approximately uh, because there's a large surface area there that you can uh, place these little devices in. Um, and that seems to be the optimal place right now. And that's typically where insulin is injected in through the skin of the belly. So right. we made it, in a, put it in a very easy spot to, to be able to insert or remove if necessary. Now, how long the devices stay there is the device is made out of permanent polymers. They're not degradable. And so they can be in there as long as the cells are functioning. But um, right now in our clinical trial, we're learning how long those cells function. And we believe that if we create a natural organ-like environment for the placement of new cells, those cells will last years and years. Oh. And uh, that's what our goal is. Mm -hmm. But as necessary, we can remove the devices and place a new device and place new therapeutic cells in there if we need to do that over time. And our clinical trials will be telling us, or they are telling us, how long the cells, you know, will last in the device itself. So that's something that we're learning. But so far, we have uh, one of our, our first patients that has had cells successfully in the body in our clinical trial for over two years right now. And that's, oh, wow. mm -hmm. that's considered a long time when you think that people are taking injections multiple yeah. times a day. Absolutely. And um, just going back to uh, the clinical trial data that Cernova uh, recently shared, I believe it was at the American Diabetes Association last month. Um, what did that early trial data show apart from in, in terms of the efficacy um, and safety in patients? So a couple of things. We're working with um, type 1 diabetic patients that have long-term type 1 diabetes um, they also need to have what we would call severe hypoglycemic underwear events. So hypoglycemic event is where when a, when a person takes an insulin injection and their sugar levels start to drop, these individuals are not aware that they're getting down to dangerous levels mm -hmm. and they can actually go into a coma um, when their sugar levels drop too low if you know the insulin starts to, to bring that down. So the only way to treat these people is with a cell therapy approach because the islets that we're putting into the device not only produce insulin appropriately, but they also produce other regulatory hormones so that if the insulin drops the sugar levels too low, then those other hormones will be released and they'll bring the sugar levels up to a more stable level. So those are the patients or the people that we're working with in this first study. 
Um, and the idea here is that the study is designed so that we are not only learning about um, we're learning about dosing of the cells and how many we need to be able to get to mm -hmm. insulin independence, but the actual objective of the study is safety of the cells and the device in the body, but it's also to look and see if we can reduce these hypoglycemic events, and then also to see if we can reduce um, something called hemoglobin A1C, which is an indicator from a blood sample of long-term blood sugar control. But what we're finding is, and our goal ultimately is to allow these people to have what we would call insulin independence, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions that we're learning is how many cells do we need to put in the body to create insulin independence um, as we're going forward? And that means what do we need to help get these people to a point where they're not needing to take insulin injections anymore. And I think that's the goal of all people with, yeah. that have type 1 diabetes. And so the study, I was uh, looking at it, um, or the results, uh, there were six patients that um, uh, you reported on. And so I think they had different uh, sort of um, outcomes in terms of how long the how prolonged and sustained the results were. Right. So we have uh, three patients that have completed the protocol, and there are um, several sections of the protocol. One is that they, when we work on the study, we we're working with very small doses of cells that we put into the devices, and we will put, over a period of time, we'll put two small doses of cells into the device, and then we see how the efficacy and safety is going. And then we also do what we would call a small top-up of doses mm -hmm. of cells into what we call the portal vein. And that allows us to add up all of that, those cells. And if we can get insulin independence, then we can look at putting all of those cells into the devices. So what we have with the patients that have completed that protocol is that we have three patients that have become free of insulin first patient has been insulin free for over two years. Yeah. So that means they're not taking any insulin injections. They have completely normal blood sugar levels. They have no hypoglycemic uh, events. And uh, they also have normal, what we would call C-peptide levels in the bloodstream. And C-peptide is a biomarker of insulin that is produced by cells. Um, so we have one patient that is over two years. The second patient we've been able to bring uh, to the six-month time point of insulin independence, and we reported the third patient at three months of insulin independence at the American Diabetes Association meeting so far. The other three patients are continuing on uh, through the study, and they have not completed uh, the dosing study protocol yet. So, um, you know, they're, they're just moving through the study at this point in time. Great. Sydney, did you want to take um, the next question? Yes, thank you so much. So I was just wondering how that um, partnership with Evotech arose. Right. So one of the things um, that I didn't mention is that we're, we, in this particular clinical study, we've been working with human donor islets. And so just as you can have an organ donor for a heart, liver, or kidney, you can also have, an, have the pancreas donated. And 
there has been a method to be able to isolate the islets from the pancreas, pancreas for over 20 years that has been done. So the, the surgical facility that we're working with at the University of Chicago has what we would call a GMP facility for isolating islets from the pancreas. And as everyone knows, um, the limitation of using human donor cells is that there's a low supply, you know, there's a smaller supply of cells than what number of patients are that are that have type 1 diabetes. So there are over 2 million patients in the U.S. Uh, with type 1 diabetes that could potentially use this type of therapy. So we needed to find an unlimited supply of cells source to be able to look at treating all patients going forward. And over the past 20 years, scientists have learned how to take a stem cell, a starting stem cell from the body, and be able to drive that through a process to be able to make that into a fully functional islet. Okay. Um, so and part of advancements of companies like ours is having technologies advanced at the right time. And so it just so happens that Evotech and a number of other pharmaceutical companies had been developing what we would call an, the IPSC, stem cell derived technology, which can be derived from a cell in the blood or a skin cell, this kind of thing, to be able to make these fully functional islets. And the idea is that uh, a uh, virtually unlimited supply of those cells can be manufactured in the same way that you would manufacture a drug. So what Cernova has done over the past number of years is we work with a number of large pharma companies and tested out their IPSD cell technologies in the device. And it turns out that all of them work really well, but that we also saw Evotech as the best partner potential. And because they have about 100 scientists working on IPSC cell technologies of different types um, and have a great experience in that area. And so now we ended up um, working on a collaboration deal with Evotech, uh, whereby, and I can talk about this if you have questions about that, whereby Cernova is going to get access to this unlimited supply of cells. And what's important is that you need to have a very robust manufacturing process yeah. that is cost effective. Yeah, I just wanted to also ask, um, in terms of um, the development of the cell pouch system, what were some of the biggest challenges or obstacles in developing it, if there were any, or well, any continuing challenges as well? Yeah, there's there's actually three parts of our technology. The first one is the medical device itself. We felt that, you know, when you're working with cell therapies, you want to know where those cells are in the body. And so we felt that it was important to develop a medical device. And one of the things about developing medical devices is that most medical devices that are placed in the body are, are typically treated uh, by the body as a foreign object. So if you think about breast implants, uh, pacemakers, all of these kinds of things, when you put them in the body, the body will typically surround them with a fibrin coating and then will do everything it can to wall that device off from the body. So it eliminates any potential blood vessel incorporation and that sort of thing. 
And that is exactly the opposite of what we need for a device that is going to have therapeutic cells in it. So we needed to develop a device that the body would accept. So we made something that was very, very porous, and we encouraged the body's natural tissue to grow into the pores of the device around these removable plugs so that the body felt like this is almost more like a scaffold in the body, similar to the way organs are developed. And organs are made up of a scaffold of collagen into which cells grow and blood vessels follow. So we decided to develop the device that um, the body would heal into or grow into and allow blood vessels and natural tissue matrix to be able to form for the therapeutic cells. Um, so that's quite different than what any other uh, company has tried to develop in the field. And um, given that approach that we're trying to make an organ-like environment, we've had really, really positive success in our preclinical clinical studies. The second part of the technology is around the cells, and we talked about that already. We decided to work with human donor cells to begin with because those are the real things that are in your body that you have for your entire life to control your blood sugar levels. So if we could prove that those worked in the device, then that really gave us a leg up. And now, obviously, we're working with the stem cell-derived technology, and we've shown that those are fully functional islets. And in preclinical studies, they work really well. So now we're going to move forward and put them into uh, the clinic. But it took six years of development work by Evotech to get those cells to the point of where they are now. So this is not a simple task to do. And the third part is how do you protect those cells that are now in the device from attack by the immune system? So we have been working in our first clinical trials using the standard of care anti-rejection medication drugs that have been proven to work uh, for other cell therapies. And what we're working on is um, being able to eliminate the need for those as the next step. And we have uh, worked on a license agreement with the University of Chicago for a, a technology called conformal coating, which is a cross-link polymer that coats the cells or coats the islets or the stem cell technology and allows normal flow of insulin and glucose across, but does not allow the immune cells to attack those cells. Okay, So that's the third part of the technology that allows us to give what we would call a complete regenerative medicine uh, approach for treating type 1 diabetes and other diseases. So you mentioned that Evotech has been developing this technology for, for six years. And how about Cernova? How long did it take to develop the cell pouch system? And um, I guess, uh, yeah, what other technologies are in the pipeline? I know there's the, the immune protection technology that goes along, as you explained, with the, the pouch system. But... Right. So um, it takes, in terms of developing, so if you think about it, for people that have type 1 diabetes, they've been taking insulin injections for 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, but with, with the potential of this technology, um, you know, everyone wants it to go really, really fast because we have a potential functional cure, then, and then parents want it for their children right now, <laughs> which we completely understand, especially if we're showing insulin independence in our initial patients. So, but the important thing is that 
um, in developing the technologies, there's a lot of science that goes behind the, the development and a lot of uh, research. Um, each of our, each of the contributory products have to be manufactured under very strict conditions that are called uh, GMP conditions. So our device essentially is, is manufactured by um, a group that has a GMP facility. Uh, the cells, even for the isolation of the islets, are done in a GMP facility. And the stem cell derived technology is done the same way. So it takes not only time to do the manufacturing and getting all those processes set up, but then we also have to test those in what we call preclinical safety and efficacy studies, and then go through clinical trials to be able to test that in humans. So it's taken a number of years for us to get there, but we have done what I would call the heavy lifting, um, you know, proving that the device works in multiple preclinical models. Um, we have our regulatory documents are with um, the FDA, and they have seen um, in our clinical trial in the U.S. that the device itself is safe, that the islets in the device are working, and that you know we're optimizing dosing and that sort of thing going forward. So you know the process that we see is going to be moving faster and faster and faster. And as we bought in, you know the conformal coding technology, there is about 12 years of research that's gone on in that technology before Cernova bought that into the company. Um, so essentially, you know, we're combining these different technologies that have taken years to get to this point and, and are now uh, working on moving things quicker and quicker for patients. Mm -hmm. And just leading into the next question, which I'm going to let Vera get to, um, in, in terms of, you know, Cernova is a Canadian-based company, as is Xtox, so we were quite excited to have you on as a fellow Canadian company. And um, Cernova has been around since, um, I, I guess, the early 2000s. And Vera, you can go ahead and perhaps uh, ask the next question in terms of... Uh, yeah, uh, we were just wondering what led you to join Cernova and you've been with the company for quite a number of years now, so there's something there. And uh, how has it been leading the company since its early days to now? Yeah, so um, when I, so I, I actually worked in a company that was developing drug and device combination products. And, um, and so when you think about that's, you know, called combination product company. So we were also working on very, what we would call disruptive technology. So in other words, substantially improving the standard care of care of particular products that are already out available to patients. So I was invited to come and have a look at um, Cernova's technology at the time. And they had a great idea to develop a medical device uh, to put therapeutic cells in, you know, way back in 2009 when I came and had a look. Mm. Um, and I just thought as, as an approach to be able to move from, you know, just helping patients out with insulin to be able to have a, what we would call functional cure uh, was immediately interesting. And it sounds kind of obvious that if you could replace the cells in the body that have been lost in the pancreas, sounds like a great idea, then you know you could have a potential functional cure. And I think it was really around 
the idea that the timing was right to be able to develop these products with the scientific knowledge in terms of how it had grown. And it was also a time to make a significant leap in the field. So having the experience behind that, and I met, you know, the small team that was at Cernova in London, Ontario, um, and everyone was super passionate about being able to drive this into clinical trials. Um, and I decided to join. At the time, the company had very, very little cash to do work. And um, I really like the term functional cure, but for, I guess, maybe people in our audience that may not, may want a, more of a definition, what, what exactly do you mean by a functional cure as opposed to just a general cure for something? Yeah, so what we mean by that is that, you know, we have, if you think about eyelids, for instance, they have a job to do. And that job is to be able to uh, read the blood sugar levels in the body and then go, okay, this is how much insulin I need to relieve to release to be able to control that blood sugar load, bring it down to a normal level. So it's not just a matter, you know, you might look at injection of insulin as a kind of cure, but the patient, the person has to do that on a daily basis. But what we're looking at is saying, to the person that has type 1 diabetes, we want to get to a point where your body is now has its own new cells within this device and it's reading the blood sugar levels and releasing insulin appropriately so that you don't have to sit and monitor your blood sugar levels every single day. So that's kind of what we would call a functional cure is that from, from the patient or the person that has type 1 diabetes perspective, they have been essentially cured of this disease because they're not having to worry about taking insulin injections on a daily basis, either by a needle or by an insulin pump. And I always look at it as though, you know, with our technologies, if you're, um, if, if it's the summertime and you want to just, you know, live your life and go swimming and jump in the pool, you don't have to remove devices or anything from your body. Uh, you can just jump in the pool and go for a swim and get out and not have to worry about the technology that, that you'll have with our, you know, with our approach. Mm-hmm. So it's bringing, bringing, you know, the lives back of people with type one diabetes to a regular, a regular life without, without having to worry about their type one diabetes. That's great. And, um, just going on to the topic of cell and gene therapies, um, like specifically in the topic in general, how have you seen the area of cell and gene therapies really change in the last decade? So I think with any kind of uh, scientific innovation, there is an ebb and flow as the research continues on. There will always be um, issues that occur that need to be solved. So if you think about the gene therapy approaches a number of years ago, um, that was moving forward very, very quickly. And then all of a sudden they had some safety issues that occurred, um, slowed the process down, and then they moved forward again as they solved, as the scientific teams solved a number of issues and now gene therapy is rising up again. And with our hemophilia program, for instance, we have what we call an ex vivo gene therapy program that we're doing. So we're taking able to take a sample of the patient's blood that has hemophilia A. We're isolating a certain cell type. 
we can then insert the genes in the cells that produce factor eight on their own and scale those cells up and put them into the device. And so in other words, we're doing what we would call ex vivo gene therapy. And the really good thing there is that the cells that are producing the factor eight are all contained within our device itself. Normal gene therapy occurs so that you actually have to infect the cells of the liver so that if there's an issue, then you have a double issue in terms of the liver itself. So I think in terms of all of these technologies, it's a matter of advancing the science, doing research, learning about how to get to the next steps, what changes need to be made, and improving on those. Um, it's very similar to uh, the original cell phones. You had a hold with two hands, and you know people probably thought originally they're never going to work, and no one's ever going to use things like that. But now everybody, in virtually in the world, has their own cell phone, and they live with that cell phone. Um, with all of the technical advances. And it's the same thing with scientific advances from the medical field. Um, in terms of cell therapy, again, if you think about stem cell-derived technologies, a number of years ago, people were just injecting raw stem cells into the bloodstream. Nobody knew where they went. We figured all the cells were dying and they were having no positive effect. So then with scientific knowledge and discoveries, you just move on and forward and go, okay, where are the issues? How are we gonna solve them? And that's kind of what Cernova has done all along to be able to get to the point where we're now, you know, getting some really, what we would consider good, good efficacy in our patients. And it's through driving the scientific process forward, questioning and answers, um, coming up with hypotheses, and then figuring out what we did right, what we did wrong, and improving on that on a continual basis. So I think you're seeing both gene therapy and cell therapy advancing in the field, and we're getting some successes, you know, overall in the bigger picture of things. So I think it all. I think the idea of having a functional cure for multiple diseases is in the realm of our lifetime right now. So, mm -hmm. and for type one diabetic patient people who have been promised a cure for type one diabetes, I actually think we. You know, from all the work that we've done, we're, we're, we actually have this in hand right now. It's not far away. Okay. That's great. Sydney? Okay, yes, I have one last question for you, and that is, what are the short and long-term goals of Cernova? Well, okay, so the short-term goals are to continue on with our immediate clinical study at the University of Chicago and keep the data coming out from that study. And then we're, you know, a lot of questions are how long do the cells last in the, in the people that we're working with and this kind of thing. And we're going to continue those data coming out. Um, the next steps for that study is that um, we are actually working with slightly larger devices that we're going to be placing into the next uh, patients and putting in more cells, but spreading them out more, because when you think about it, islets are reading the local blood sugar levels around them. So if you pack too many cells in, then they all think that the, the blood sugar levels are normal. So um, we're working on, you know, spreading the cells out, putting in more cells so that we can 
continually improve on the efficacy that we're that we're getting. Um, we're also um, advancing our stem cell derived technology uh, with EvoTech so that we can bring that technology into clinical trials with the potential to treat all people that have type 1 diabetes. And uh, so those what we call preclinical studies and the cell manufacturing work is, is ongoing at a very fast pace right now. Um, the other thing is that we are aggressively working on bringing our thyroid treatment program into uh, clinical trials. And we're working with a surgeon at the University of British Columbia right now who is an expert in this area. We have already completed preclinical studies showing that this technology works. In other words, we've been able to take healthy thyroid tissue that has been removed from uh, a person that has thyroid disease, place it into the cell pouch, and we've shown that those cells are surviving long-term and that the thyroid precursor hormones are getting into the bloodstream for the potential uh, to be able to uh, bring back the normal thyroid control for those patients. And we're anticipating a clinical trial uh, starting in 2023 for this particular application. For the hemophilia uh, work that we're doing, we're looking at bringing those next set of studies forward so that we can bring that uh, program into clinical trials also. Um, so we have a whole series of, uh, from the from the clinical and preclinical side, a lot of work going on for all three of our indications and um, advancing to the next steps. And then also uh, from the business side, Cernova has just recently uplisted from the Toronto Venture Exchange to the big board Toronto Exchange. So the anticipation is it will give us access to a lot more investors who want to get uh, be able to, you know, purchase shares in the company and take advantage of the advancements that we make as we're going forward. And our our goal eventually will be on to be able to transition to NASDAQ, which is the technology stock exchange in the U.S. So that, um, you know, that will give us another significant group of institutional investors that can invest in the company. Absolutely. Going global one step at a time. So uh, really great to see a Canadian company uh, really flourishing in, in this very, uh, you know, um, quickly advancing field of cell and gene therapies. It's definitely an area that Xtox um, is uh, uh, very passionate about covering. So it's great to have you uh, here sharing your insights and uh, all of the valuable information about uh, Cernova and all of the wonderful work that the company has been doing and is doing to advance regenerative uh, medicine-based therapeutics for diseases like diabetes. So Dr. Tulekis, I'd like to thank you so much for your time and for sharing uh, yeah, your insights and um, thank you for being on the show great thank you and I just want to say one other thing in that being, being able to develop new technologies like this and um, Canadians are expert at being first in the field in multiple yeah. areas um, what it really takes is support from the government for these new technologies um, that could bring in huge amounts of uh, tax revenue for the country. It also takes um, scientists, yeah. you know, a large number of scientists to be supporting these new technologies. And it takes um, 
everyday investors who are not only to look looking at trying to make some additional funds for themselves, but also doing this um, supporting companies like ours for really good ethical causes so that because we are truly uh, trying to help make the world a better place in terms of uh, improving the quality of lives of patient, people with these diseases. So it's a, a very exciting um, area to be working in. And thanks again for the work that you guys are doing. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share your work and insights. And um, that's a wonderful note to leave off on. So thank you once again, Dr. Tillakis. We really appreciate your time. Thanks again. All right, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.